0: Welcome everybody, good to see you here, welcome to all of you online who are watching, and again, today's today's, today's an awesome day, man, it's beautiful outside, um, you know, a little bit of a change of season in the air, and also those, those baptisms today at Wallace Lake are going to be great, come on out to support them and encourage them, um, that, that'll be a great time. Hey, I'll, I'll never forget the conversation I had with a friend years ago. And uh, her name is Diane, and she's got three sons. And her and her husband uh, Ken raised those sons to know the Lord, to love the Lord, to follow the Lord. Strong Christian family, healthy family. And uh, as those kids grew up, and they were a few years, you know, between each other, as those boys grew up, uh, one at a time, they just started breaking off, uh, walking with the Lord. They just went through a season where they just got distant. From following Christ. And so one time Diane and I were sitting and talking and she basically through tears said, I just feel like God broke his promise. I feel like God just broke his promise to me. And of course she was referring to Proverbs 22.6, which says, you know, raise your child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from him. And uh, I just listened to her and tried to encourage her. I said, Diane, what's, what's the rest of the verse? I know what they're going through right now as young men, but what's the rest of the verse say? It says, when they are old, they will not depart from him. I go, the story's still being written. <laughs> the story's still being written. Don't, don't give up. Just keep hoping in the Lord. And of course, her and her husband just continue to love on their sons, continue to pray for their sons. And you know what? One at a time, those boys came back around. One became an editor, um, and it has an emphasis on Christian books. One became a missionary to China, and one became a pastor, you know? And so it was just a reminder that, that God does not break His promises. And even though we see brokenness in us, and even though we see brokenness around us, when, when, when we look at the promises of God in Scripture, that He'll provide for us, He'll protect us, He's got our best interests and hearts, and all the things that we see in Scripture, we know that God can keep His promises. And really, that's, that's the, 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 the life message that I want to get across today, that no matter what brokenness we see in us and around us, um, no matter what's broken off, that doesn't mean that God's breaking Uh, has broke his promises, because sometimes we'll see that his promises might have delayed answers and response, but that doesn't mean that they're denied. And really, that's uh, the the message and the theme of what we're going to see as we re-engage this teaching series right with God. And we're going to be in Romans 11 today. I invite you into your Bibles right now to open up to Romans 11. And as we go into Romans 11, uh, what we're basically going to see is this whole concept of God making his promises and not breaking them and not breaking them. And as you're turning to Romans 11 or opening up your Bible apps, and just a reminder, if you're here on site today and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one for free as a gift. Stop by the Information Center and grab one. But as you're turning to Romans 11, just a little context for you who may not be aware of some biblical history or maybe just need a brief refresher. But over 4,000 years ago, God selected a man named Abraham. And he made a unique promise to this man. And we see that promise found in the book of Genesis chapter 12, where he told Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And of course, we know that Abraham was the father of the Hebrew nation, of the Jewish people, of Israel. Now, the problem is that Israel, similar to Ken and Diane's son, uh, have deviated from being faithful to the Lord. Israel also rejected God's provision of the very Messiah, the very anointed one that would come to them to rescue their people from sin. And so the, the one that they were waiting for, they've missed. And not only did they miss him, but they were active in his death and resurrection uh, narrative as well. And so the question that we see being uh, grappled with as we kick off Romans 11 through this man, the Apostle Paul, who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who's getting the download from God and sharing it via this writing, here's the question that the Apostle Paul is grappling with. Did God, therefore, abandon Israel? Because they missed the Messiah, because they aren't walking with them, did God just sever them? Did he abandon them? Because if so, then he broke his promise. Then he broke his promise that he made to Abraham. Well, let's see how Paul answers that question and navigates Romans 11 by making three observations. The first observation is this. God makes promises. God makes promises. Now, we already saw the massive promise God made to Abraham and the descendants in Genesis, which is known as the Abrahamic Covenant, and we read through Scripture often and, and see how God reinforced that promise in many times and many ways. Romans 11 is just one of multiple times that uh, were referenced to the promise of God. And so look at Romans chapter 1 with me, verses 1 through 5. We're just going to walk through this passage at various points, not the whole chapter, but different uh, moments in it. And in Romans 1, 1 through 5, here's what we see. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Paul saying, God has made this promise to his people. Paul saying, I'm a fellow Jew, which means I'm included. I'm, I'm evidence of this promise that he's made. I'm an example of the promise. And although we look around at our fellow Jews, and we get discouraged by the abandoning that we see of them from following the Lord, he, he still has his promise he's made, and then he references Jewish history, a story found in First Kings 19, where the prophet Elijah felt like that. Here's this man of God, this mighty man of God, Elisha, who looks around and he goes, "I'm the only one left." Everyone else man, they're, they're killing the prophets. They're crushing, you know, the altars of worship. They're abandoning God. And they're all running to this pagan God, Baal, and they're worshiping a pagan God. And Elisha cried out to God and said, I'm the only one left. I mean, aren't there moments when you feel like that as a Christian? Like, man, I'm, I'm the only person in my work environment that loves Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm the only one in my neighborhood that I know of that, that, that's following Christ. And maybe you're the only one in your family. You're like, man, there's no one in my family that knows the Lord. And there's moments we can really relate to Elijah and what Paul's talking about. There's no one else out there. And so, so Paul's identifying with this understanding that they've all left. And I, and I love what he references here where God speaks to Elijah and says, Elijah, you really don't know much, do you? You know, there's those ways and moments where God reminds us that we really don't know everything. He says, I've got 7,000 men reserved a remnant. They're not doing any of what you say. They're faithful. They have not bowed the knee to this pagan god, um, Baal. They're they're faithful, a remnant. And in the same way that there's this preserved group that is a recipient of the promise, I've always had a remnant. I'm always going to have a remnant because I've promised, because I've promised. And so God makes this promise. You know, I've heard it said that if you can only pick one word, Just one word. If you had to summarize your support and belief and why you believe the Bible is true and accurate, if you could only pick one word, what would that word be? And I know over and over again, multiple people would choose this word. The word would be Israel. Israel. Because you look at the promises of God that God's made. He's made this unique Um, blessing and promise to this unique people group and the existence of Israel. And I would add the very attention given to Israel's possession of one little tiny strip of land is one of the most outstanding evidences of the reliability of the Bible and the Christian faith, as well as evidence of God's covenantal nature. I mean, doesn't that just blow your mind? You look at the entire globe, all the continents, all the nations, all the land, one little tiny strip, and it's the hot spot. Why is that? Well, God's made a promise to the people who are dwelling there, And so you have you you can't just wink at that. You can't neglect to notice that. That God's made a promise and he'll not abandon his covenant people. In Psalm 94, 14, one of many places he says something like this: the Lord said, The Lord will not forsake his people, he will not abandon his heritage. And so God makes promises. He made unique promises to Israel. And he's made promises to all of us who are in Christ. They're all in scripture. We've done message series. We've made bookmarks. And there's, you can Google your brains to the, you know, off the charts about the promises of God in Scripture. And he's made promises. Second observation we'll make is this. God invites us into the promises. God invites us into the promises. This is where it gets fun, it gets beautiful, and it gets a little bit mind-blowing, if you want to be honest. Remember in Genesis when God told Abraham, in, the, in, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, what he's talking about, of course, is that one day the future Messiah, the future Savior that's going to come, is going to come through the lineage of Abraham. He's, he's going to come through the Hebrew people, through Israel. And so we know that Jesus Christ, man, wasn't just the Son of God, but God in the flesh came, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the grave for the forgiveness of sins. And as we see, like John three sixteen, you know, said that all who believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. All. All means Jew and non-Jew, or the word Gentile, right? We talked about this, you know, just last week, that if you confess Jesus um, as Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You shall be, what's the word? And what's the punctuation mark after that? Period. So once you cross that threshold of faith and you're in Christ, You're now invited into these promises that were given to Abraham. And so Paul shares God's amazing plan of using Israel's breaking away from him to masterfully bring Gentiles into the relationship with him and become recipients of his grace and promises. Let's look at a little chunk of Scripture here in Romans 11 on that. Romans 11, look at verses 11 through 19 with me. So I ask, Now I am speaking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. For if the rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean? But life from the dead. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now pay attention here. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. This is a beautiful illustration that, that God gives Paul to lay out an understanding of how God has taken the Jewish people and their promises, and now has included us in those promises. And what he does is he uses a tree as an example. Now, I, I want to kind of inter- interact with us a little bit to help us uh, visualize what we just saw. Now, now, of course, he's talking about an olive tree. Uh, this is not an olive tree. It's the best I could get, Okay. But I love this tree when I found it because I'm I'm going through the nursery looking at lots of things. I'm going, what's 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 what can I get a good deal on and what can I play with a little bit? And I found this tree and it was just like oh, because it was perfect. Because here's the deal about this tree, it was drastically on sale. (laughs) And as I was buying it, the lady said, "Just so you know, that tree's not guaranteed." I'm thinking, I didn't know you can guarantee a tree. What if I kill the thing like three years later, bring it in? Look, it didn't make it. Can I have another one? Like, I do not know you could do that. Um, And clearly what was being implied was, sir, the tree's almost dead. We'll let you buy it, but don't try to come back and say it didn't make it. But that's exactly the description that we're seeing of Israel. God, God planted Israel. And he got the root and you have all those promises of, of the coming Messiah and, and, and all that God did. And this thing has grown and all the promises and the covenants, all the gifts that God's given it. But what's happened is they, they abandoned the Lord and, and, and they rejected the one he provided. And so, in a sense, he's saying, so what God has done is he's broken off some of the dead branches because the tree is not producing. If you and I were, were going to look for a tree, that we wanted to produce something, we probably would bypass this tree because there's a few things still alive, but for the most part, it's on its way out. And that's the picture we see of Israel in Scripture, that God still has it here. It's still established, but it's not producing much. And so what happens when a person, a gardener, or someone, you know, uh, wants to see a tree that's not doing well start to produce and start to have vibrancy and new life again is they go over to a shoot that has more life. And what they do is they say, I'm going to splice that in. And so they find a spot on the tree and they say, we're to, We want to provoke new growth. We want to provoke new life here. And so what we're going to do now, I just want you to know I do not have a green thumb. So this is for illustration purposes only. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to get that new shoot in to the tree. And once you put the new shoot in, it starts to promote growth. And what happens is once that growth kicks in, the tree will start to produce more fruit. And so you graft in a new shoot, a new piece of growth, and eventually it becomes part of the tree and starts to grow. It's amazing. When you walk in Israel... And if some of you get a chance to go there someday, and I, I encourage you to put it at the top of your bucket list. It's one of the best things you can do as a self-feeder to learn the Word of God. is to go to Israel, you'll see these massive, thousand-year-old olive trees. You go through the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's olive trees there that are huge because as they get old, they just get big and gnarly. But every now and then, you'll, you'll walk across this big, gnarly stump of an olive trunk, and then you'll see, like, smaller branches that have grown off it. Well, clearly, at some point, new shoots were grafted into the olive tree, so it would keep growing and keep producing for thousands of years, hundreds of years. And this is the picture that God gives. He says, this is Israel. It's not producing what I want, but I'm using the breaking of the branch so that I can graft in a new shoot and splice it in. And it's a benefit to the new shoot because it's now going to be receiving the nutrients of the root, the nutrients of the promise, the nutrients of everything I've given it. So it's going to bear fruit and it's going to be stimulating growth for the old as well. That is a beautiful picture of understanding how God has taken Israel and followers of Christ and brought us together as one. That that, that we have been included in these promises. There's there's a great passage that that, that speaks about that in Ephesians chapter 2. You look through verses 12 through 16, uh, it speaks to that. It says, Remember that you, and he's speaking about Gentiles, non Jews. Any Gentiles in the room, non Jews, raise your hand. I am, okay? Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is a picture of people who don't know the Lord, aren't in his word, don't understand the promises, the covenants, and all that God's done. Verse 13, but now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, may I say even grafted, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both, the Jews and Gentiles, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And as Jew and as Gentile mutually look to Christ, to Jesus who died for the sins of man, for my sin, for your sins. When we mutually come to that need and acknowledge that Jesus, or as a lot of Messianic Jews would say, Yeshua, that Yeshua is God, he's Savior, that mutual coming to creates this one body with different distinctives and uniqueness, but now included as one. It's really mind-blowing to think that God, in his sovereignty, grafted us into this tree, and that the, nourishing, um, the nourishment that comes through this root flows into us, and how God can use us to provoke jealousy, which we'll talk about in a little bit, to create more growth. Like, that is a beautiful picture. And it should impact us in two ways. One, kind of, kind of in a community, is like we as a body of faith have been included in the promises of God. And also individually, because all of you, and maybe even some of you now that are watching or here, you know, you're, you're not grafted in, you're not, you're not part of a relationship with Christ, but you can be. But for all of us who could go, that, that was me. I was once far off, but God grafted me in. And when you look at at this this image of grafting, it's like that's a picture of what God's done in you as you've come to Christ, grafting you, including you into his promises. And so that's great news for us as we see this promise-making God who's included us in his promises. But the third observation, obviously one of the most significant, because we all know people who've made promises, but the third observation is that God fulfills his promises God fulfills him, his promise. He's always going to keep his promise. And so Jewish people, since the time of Christ, have come to faith in Jesus. Even Paul, he's presenting himself as like, you know, evidence A. Man, don't think God's forgotten his promises. I'm a converted Jew, Paul says. I'm an example of God fulfilling his promise. And every time a Jewish person comes to faith in Yeshua, comes to faith in Christ, you start to see these fulfillment of promises, and when you start to look at uh, the timeline and you start to pay attention to current events, what you're starting to see is that at one point in time, there's going to be a massive conversion of Jewish believers again, like an avalanche. We see Messianic Jews coming to faith in the Lord ever since the time of Christ. These people are coming to the Lord, coming to the Lord. But at one point in time, boom, a bunch is going to shake loose. And just like in the New Testament, we saw thousands of people responding to the gospel, thousands of Jewish people come to become believers in Yeshua. That's still to come. God's going to fulfill that promise. This is a future fulfillment. Let's look at Romans 11, verses 23 through 31. And Paul kind of speaks to that here. And he says, and even they right? The Jews, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A, what's the word there? partial. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. As we've been talking about for weeks, and if you're not, you know, if you haven't been here, this is new to you, there's this predetermined elect group of believers. When when that group is done, when, when the elect have been done about fulfillment, this is when all this is going to take place. And in verse 26, and in this way, all Israel, all the elected Israel also will be saved as is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Which by the way, there's only one way to take away sins. That's through faith in Jesus. There's not going to be some unique alternative way for Jewish people to be saved. They have to get saved the way everyone else gets saved. By, by acknowledging that Jesus is Messiah. And as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And when you look at the gifts, and you go back to Romans chapter nine, in Romans chapter nine, there's like a list of all these gifts that God's provided to Israel. They've got the law and they've got temple worship and they've got the covenants and they have all these unique gifts that God's uniquely given them. And, and he's called these, this people group to be a unique people group for him. He's not going to uncall them. He's just gonna include us with them. And it's a beautiful thing. Verse 34, just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have been received mercy because of their disobedience, So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. Simplified, even the dead, broken, unfruitful branches, God one day is going to graft back in. God's going to take dead bones and bring them back to life. God's going to take branches that were unyielding, would not bear fruit. He's going to graft them back in so that they can bear fruit for his kingdom again. He's going to fulfill his promises. Despite Israel's rejection of Christ as Messiah and walking away from him, God's going to fulfill his promise to the Jewish people. Now, uh, we can study this. You, you, you You can study this till you're blue in the face, which I don't even know what that means, by the way. Those are one of those phrases that we use like, I've never studied anything until I was blue or purple or pink, for that matter. You can study this till your brain just shuts off, flips a breaker. But there's something unique about hearing from someone who's got the heritage. And so months ago, when I was looking at how we were carving up Romans, I'm like, man, I'd love to have my friend Rabbi Eric come back and just share a couple thoughts on this with us because he's going to have a different heart connect." than I, as a Gentile pastor, am going to have. And so we've got a privilege for a few minutes here that uh, our, our friend Rabbi Eric Lakotas from Tikva Israel is going to join us and talk a little bit. So you guys welcome Rabbi Eric again. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> well, Eric, thanks for, um, thanks for coming back. We were joking earlier about we should probably just give you like a little office or apartment up here. You've been coming around a lot. Um, but uh, not everybody maybe was here. When you joined us, uh, you know, a month or so ago, and and, and thank you for coming out. And we are so grateful for your time. Um, maybe for the sake of just our understanding, give us some context. How are you Jewish? How, what is your what is your heritage, man? Uh,
1: okay. Well, um, my great grandmother Sylvia Friedman married Victor Foreman and produced my grandmother Lucille Foreman and. Before the Holocaust happened, my family decided that's it. We're not going to observe uh, any of our Jewish religion anymore because God abandoned us. You know, you were talking about broken promises. Uh, My family felt like, hey, if God could allow this to happen to our people, then there must not—he's not worth following. So my family rejected God. By the time I came around, God was nothing more to me. My God was football and baseball. You know, I came from a very secular family, and a lot of Jewish people are like that today, unfortunately. So, uh, you know, by the time I came around, there was very little of connection to the tree. Then, um, around 18 years old, I got saved, uh, radically saved, and believed in Jesus. And then everything I read in this Bible was talking about Jewish people. I said, wait a minute, this Jesus, he's Jewish, just like me, you know. And I thought, hey, I, this, this has to mean something. So um, I became a believer and, and started over and learned about, you know, learned hebrew and learned uh all about my bible and uh, and about israel and and so god does keep his promises just like that christian family you were talking to and how the children came back and so by the time my generation came along here i was grafted back in a natural branch grafted back in and all i can say is you know today i'm a messianic rabbi i was called to the ministry as soon as i got saved and i felt i gotta preach and share this good news with my own jewish people so that's
0: a little bit about me praise god for that Uh, Rabbi Eric, what, maybe, maybe a little context here. We know that there's a, a lot of different sects of Jewishness. Um, how many Messianic Jews, meaning that these are Jewish people who believe in Yeshua, Jesus, as Messiah, how many Messianic Jews do you think are out there?
1: Uh, here in the U.S., the number is estimated to be about 200,000. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot to you guys because Gentiles outnumber Jews, but in the Jewish community, that's pretty remarkable considering the fact in 1967, uh, during the Six-Day War, Uh, The Jesus movement, the hippies were getting saved here in the U.S., the late 60s, early 70s. That's when our movement really took off here in the U.S. So 200,000 Messianic Jewish Jews who believe in Jesus but retain their Jewish identity. And in the world, uh, probably it's estimated uh, 500,000 perhaps, and it's really taking off in Israeli society. Israeli Jews are coming to the Lord Mm. like never before. So the revival has gone all over the world. That's
0: beautiful. Um, we know that we have a Jewish community here in the Cleveland area. Um, obviously, you work very closely with that community. About how many uh, Jewish people do we have in the Cleveland area about? Well, I wasn't
1: raised here. I was raised in Toledo, but eventually I came here in 2008 uh, to take the pulpit at Tikvot Israel, And I, I learned about our community here. We, uh, we have a Jewish population on the east side of about 100,000 Jews. And that we reside, our community resides everywhere from Mayfield, Mayfield Heights, down south, all the way through Beechwood, down into Solon. So that's where our Jewish people are in the, you know, the snow belt. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, for whatever reason, that's where we are. And, uh, you know, that's and our congregation is in Lindhurst. So. Uh, for us, you got to be among our own people. If we're going to minister to our people, we have to reside with our people. So that's where we're at.
0: That's great. Now, obviously, the word Israel provokes a lot of different reactions, especially you know with tensions constantly between the Palestinians and Israel and all the activities we, we see going over there, and you know the deals with Iran and the constant skirmishing and all that. When you hear the word Israel, like like how do you define that, teach that, understand that? Because there's that national, there's that spiritual, like like I don't know. How do, you, how do you teach and explain to others who Israel really is?
1: Well, people have fought forever about who is a Jew. I mean, ever since Abraham, uh, there was anti-Semitism. And you read about the, the wells he dug and Isaac dug wells and the nations came and fought over that. So it's, it's been a fight from the beginning. Who was the chosen people? And really the definition today is in the state of Israel... Uh, anyone who has at least one Jewish grandparent, it doesn't matter if it's it's mother or father's side, uh, you get to be an Israeli citizen. And that's because Hitler used that criteria in, he, in deciding who was a Jew and who died during the Holocaust – so the state of Israel, when it when it became a nation in 1948, it decided it's going to use that criteria because if you're good enough to die in the Holocaust, you're good enough to be uh, a citizen of Israel, regardless if you believe in God, regardless if you're an atheist or if you're a uh, Jewish religious. So being a Jew, being Israel, to say the word Israel is not just a religion. It's a culture. It's a people. We have a nation now today with sovereign borders recognized by the United Nations. We have our own language, which is Hebrew. We have our our own culture and and everything, and an army and air force and uh, the IDF. So being Israel is not just limited to a spiritual, but it's both. It's national and it's spiritual.
0: That's good. You know, there's some interesting things said in Romans 11 that I'd love to hear you speak to, and I think our body would benefit from hearing. Um, one of them was this curious concept that, you know, Paul was saying that he wanted his ministry to provoke Jews to jealousy. And of course, we think of jealousy like the, you know, the jealous boyfriend, like that's a bad term, you know? Um, and, and then he talked about the, the Gentiles being grafted in would, would, would cause jealousy uh, for the Jewish people. Why is that a good thing, and how does that work exactly to you?
1: I think it's God's plan from the beginning and this whole image of being grafted in and the purpose of grafting in from this tree, this wild tree into the natural cultivated tree is there's a purpose behind it. And I believe in Romans 11, it tells us Romans 11:11 11, 11 specifically that the purpose of the non Jew who has been grafted in is to provoke to jealousy. Uh, his natural branches. And many of our Jewish people, um, you know, many people assume that just because you're Jewish, you know, the Old Testament or, you know, the Bible, that's really not true. Many Jews are religious, but they don't actually read the Bible. All right. They read Jewish literature and they read uh, prayer books, but they don't necessarily read what the Bible says. And many Christians born again, Christians, Christians who know the word of God have more biblical literacy than most average Jewish people. And so by provoking to jealousy, what that really means is you who are not even Jewish, uh, the cho- part of the chosen people necessarily by the flesh, but yet you have a relationship with God that seems, you know, that we Jews don't even have. And we see that, and if you're good at it, and if you share the love of Jesus with your Jewish friends, and they see something in you that's different, you have a relationship with God. See, we have religion we may not always have relationship and that's a spark of god there's a life in that and we see that our jewish people see that and we say we want that we want what you got we want to know that god hears our prayers many of our jewish people pray but we don't even know if god is hearing us does he hear us does he even answer prayer we don't know Mm -hmm. and so for you christians who know god personally that's powerful and i think that's what paul's talking about is provoking to justly not provoking to anger which is the boasting aspect, which he warns against. Don't boast against the branches, the natural branches. So that's a whole separate question, but um, that's an issue too.
0: You know, as I, as I read that language, as we've talked, the, the illustration that came to my mind. is was like, if I went home today and, and I pulled my son aside and said, hey, son, and I, and I pulled out a $100 bill and said, this $100 is for you. If he were to go, no, I don't want it. I don't, I don't want that. Um, how would he feel if I'm like, okay, and then I went down the street to a neighbor kid, and gave it to the neighbor kid? He'd be like, what? Hey, I offered it to you. You just didn't want it. In fact, what if I gave it to the mean neighbor kid? The one that kind of bullied my kid a little Bullying bit, him. right? If it was really good, kind of, you know. Um, what would that do in the heart of my child? And of course, just when he's saying, why did you do that? I, I, well, one, I offered it to you and you rejected it. It's so in the same way, God offered the Messiah, you know, to Israel. And they said, no, we're good. We've got the law. We've got all these things. And he's not going to rescue us from the Romans. So this isn't him. And then on the other hand, um, I could, as a father say, but son, it's okay because I have a lot more where that came from and you, you, you get my whole inheritance. And so not only does the kid down the street get blessed and maybe God can use that gift to soften him and bring relationship. Now you still have your inheritance intact as well. It's a win-win. So that kind of illustration to me, which hearing you talk, just, I think about just religion in general, that, that, Unique provoking of jealousy isn't just to the Jewish people. There's so many people trapped, right? We all know there's people trapped in religion. I've got to say certain prayers. I've got to do certain routines and rituals or else, you know? And when they see someone who's in love with Christ, in relationship with Christ, that is a draw. God uses that to draw. Call it jealousy if you want. Call it attraction. We know that God uses that, so that's, that's good. Can you speak for a second about that? How did, the, the, the scripture was warned here. Don't boast to get the branches. Hey, look, you're grafted in. Don't be all arrogant and go, look what what I did. Well, hey, you didn't do it. God did it. And you're not part, you're receiving nutrition from the root. You're not the root. So I don't know, what what are like one or maybe two things that come to your mind as examples? Like we we as Gentiles, if you will, don't want to boast against the branches. So what do we avoid to do that?
1: Yeah, a big, big thing to avoid is a theology called supersessionism, or an easier term to remember is replacement theology. You know, that that wild branch that was on there did not replace the tree. It didn't replace the natural branches. Paul said God did not reject his people. So just because the Gentiles were brought in, the church doesn't replace Israel. It becomes grafted with Israel. Israel? Do you not understand the difference? And, and unfortunately, throughout church history of the last 2,000 years, there has been some very bad theology that has been taught. Just because Israel didn't exist as a nation for 2,000 years, those promises were still there. And unfortunately, a really bad theology has pervaded that somehow... You know, many many misinformed Christians think that, well, we replaced Israel. God took the promises away from the Jews and gave it to the Gentiles. That's not true. And what we see today is evidence of that's not true. Number one, Israel's a nation. Number two, Jews are coming to faith, Messianic Jews like me. So, uh, you know, that's just simply not true. So replacement theology, eh, bad. Get away from it. <laughs>
0: Number two. Tell us how you really feel about that.
1: (laughs) Number two, and the second thing I got to warn people about is this modern, uh, it's what's really popular nowadays is this political movement that has been started uh, primarily by anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, even Middle East um, uh, Muslim, uh, those who lean towards that political bent called the BDS movement, boycott divest and sanction Israel, Israel's accused of being a, an apartheid nation, which is really a lie. Uh, it's the only democracy in the whole Middle East. It's the only place where women have any rights. And, and so the bottom line is to call Israel an apartheid state and to boycott her and divest from her and sanction her is going against Genesis 12. I will curse those who curse you. So ladies and gentlemen, if you're, if you're a Bible-believing Christian and you believe in the promises that God made to Israel, how could you ever support the BDS movement? So if you've never heard of it, if you don't know what it is, Google it, find out. Also, there is a website, a Christian's Guide to the BDS movement, and I'll give you the website, CEC. Christian Empowerment Council, CECIsrael.org. If you want more information about what is BDS and how a Christian can, can be informed to take a, a biblical stance against BDS. But those are two things I would warn Christians today. Stay away from replacement theology and stay away from BDS because you're just going to bring curses on yourself if you mm-hmm. get involved with that That's stuff. Interesting.
0: Um, what about this? The, the, the whole last part of Romans 11 there, start talking about the regrafting. And if, the, if the wild shoot can be grafted in, how easy for God to take a, a dead, broken shoot, you know, and replace it back in. As, as you cling and preach the hope of the gospel to the Jewish people, what excites you? What, what um, comes to your mind when you think about the regrafting of Israel?
1: Well, just yesterday in my service on Saturday, we immersed in water. You guys call it baptism. We call it mikvah. It's the same thing. Uh, We immersed a 74-year-old Jewish woman who received Jesus as her Messiah. We baptized her yesterday. Mm. Whenever I see those things happen, to me, it's a miracle. Despite the Holocaust, despite the pogroms, despite replacement theology and all these false teachings that are out there, Jewish people today are still getting saved and retaining their Jewish identity and and becoming believers and being regrafted. And so whenever I see a single individual do it, I'm excited but to see in the last 40-some years since 1967 that there are now 500,000 uh, Messianic Jews in the world, and it's gaining momentum in Israel. In Israel, Jews are getting saved left and right, and what we're seeing is a prophetic answer to the promises that God said. This is a sign that the Messiah is coming soon. When you start seeing Jews come to the Lord, it's like a faucet. It's getting turned on slowly and slowly and slowly. But when God turns on that faucet of revival... Wham! You're going to see a revival in this world like never before when Israel comes to their full. You know, the book of Zechariah says, They will look upon me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. All Israel is going to be saved, the remnant of Israel, and that includes Gentiles who've been grafted in. That's Israel. That's the remnant of Israel. Our people are going to get saved in droves. So I personally have a promise of success in my ministry. (laughs) I have a biblical promise of success, and I always remind God of that when I pray. Don't forget your promise, you know. I'm going to be successful in reaching our Jewish people. Uh, It's going to happen, and you're going to do it too. So that's that's exciting. That's
0: exciting. exciting. Hey, um, obviously, we're a church that's very serious about application. We just don't want content. Um, We've provided a guide of how to pray for the Jewish community. Um, I guess the, the two questions that we would have as part of our DNA as a church is like, what's one way or two ways we can really pray for our Jewish community and another is uh, what, what's something we can do to roll up our sleeves and bless because we know that God uses acts of love to to engage us and those who don't know the Lord how can we serve We've got 100,000 Jewish people in our backyard. How, how can we be active in loving and serving? There's
1: very few local churches that are really penetrating that wall that exists between the Christian community and the Jewish community. And we, as the Messianics, we're the only Messianic synagogue in Cleveland. We feel we're the glue between the two communities. So we want to partner with churches. The first thing to do is pray. You need to start praying, because Psalm 122 literally commands believers, shalu shalom Yerushalayim, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So if if Israel and and the Jewish people are not on your prayer list, then you're not fulfilling that biblical mandate. So get Israel and the Jewish people on your daily prayer list. Number two, pray specifically. Don't watch CNN and get your news from the Fox News or CNN. You're not going to get accurate information. Let me give you a quick website. Go to ifi.org. And by the way, it's in your pamphlet that they're ha- handing out, ifi.org.il. That is an Israeli messianic website that gives you real information about what's going on from a believer's perspective. Did you know that right now in Israel there's a, there's a drought going on, a terrible drought? Israel needs water. Pray for water. Pray specifically for the needs of Israel, not just, oh, God, give us peace, but specific needs. And then finally, to partner with us, we started a mission, a local mission called the Cleveland Joseph Project. And if you want more information about that, go to Cleveland Joseph project.org and there you'll see a mission that we started where we are we're bringing food and tangible items kosher food items to the poor in the Jewish community on the east side there's a kosher food bank we bless them every month we bring in thousands of dollars every year. We'd like to see that multiply to help Holocaust survivors, to help those who are ill and poor in the Jewish community right here in Cleveland. And we want to partner with churches. And like I said, there's very few churches here in Cleveland that are doing that. And I believe you guys are partnering with us already. So get it. you can come with us. Bring, we can bring food. We can bring truckloads of kosher food. Let's blow away our people with the love of Yeshua. Let's bless our, our people. And we'll see hearts melt. We'll see the Walls come down, and we will see revival Amen. happen. Amen.
0: You know, I, as we get getting ready for another life group semester, I thought how beautiful it would be that our, all our life group leaders go, All right, you know, we're supposed to serve at least once together as a life group this semester. One of our serves, we're going to go do something in the local Jewish community as a, as a life group. That'd be great. Well, obviously, I, I would love to keep talking and hearing. I think our body would love to. Um, but uh, we just want to thank you for your time. Thank you for being here and sharing a glimpse thank of you. your heart. Thank you. That's, that's a joy. In a minute, Rabbi Eric and I are just going to close in prayer together. But before we do, just a couple things. Uh, one is, just a reminder, as you look through Romans 11, it becomes very clear, broken branches do not mean broken promises. So you just got to look at your life. What, what seems broken? What seems unfruitful? What seems difficult? Man, God, I thought you were thought you were going to watch out for me. God's still a a promise uh, keeper, not just a promise maker. And so you just have to hang in there in faithfulness to see how and when God's going to fulfill answers to his promises. Uh, Secondly, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, I'm not Jewish. I'm clearly a Gentile then, but I don't know Jesus. Man, you're in a room full of people that would encourage you, come to faith in Christ. What you heard about this grafting isn't just true of of, of a community of people, but for you as an individual. And all it takes is for you to go, I'm a lost person, I'm a sinner, I'm distant from God. And if Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the grave for me, then I believe and I need him. And you just tell God that, just tell God that. Say, I'm gonna trust you over myself. I'm coming to you right now, I believe. And you'll be grafted in. And if you do that, you know, this morning, we encourage you to do that, share that with us. Pull out your response card and the chair in front of you and your program and say, I'm giving my life to Christ today. I believe in Jesus. And um, let us know so we can follow up with you and tell you how to follow Christ. A couple other practicals. Um, if some of you may have Jewish friends, family, neighbors, and you're thinking, but how do I like, share the gospel? I don't want to say things that would offend. Just a reminder to mark your calendar October 24th. October 24th, we're going to have something called the Unbelievable Gospel Equipping Session. And uh, probably hundreds of people here. We're going to have four different breakouts where you can learn how, how to have gospel conversations with people of different faith background. And Rabbi Eric's going to join us again on October 24th. And uh, if you want to hear about how to have a gospel conversation with a Jewish person, he'll share some tips and insights on that. Also, uh, don't forget, as a self-feeder, one of the most important things you can do is actually go to Israel and, and touch and see everything yourself. Uh, Rabbi Eric and I are leading a trip in June of next year. And so if that's something that uh, you're interested in, um, don't forget, you can go online, information at the counter. I highly recommend doing that. It's a life-changing. You'll never see the Bible the same. You'll never understand your faith the same um, other than going to Israel. You got a little taste of what that would probably feel like um, here in this moment. So uh, with that, would you guys stand? And we're going to close our time in prayer and worship. Uh, Rabbi Eric, why don't you pray with me? And let's lift up these people. God, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for Romans 11 the whole book of Romans, and the whole word of God. Thank you that you did not leave us without insight, information. Thank you for downloading your ways, your word, so that we can be in relationship with you. God, I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you, that they would surrender their life and be grafted in even today, Lord Jesus. Give them the courage to just step forward and say, I believe, and also to let us know so we can follow through with them, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for what we've heard. We lift up Rabbi Eric. God, would you bless him and his family? As he faithfully tries to follow the calling you've put in his life, to to tell Jewish people who are so close yet so far from the truth about Yeshua, about faith in Jesus. God, bless his ministry. Let it be fruitful. Give us wisdom to know how to support and encourage. God, we do pray that you continue to draw Jewish people, Palestinian people, Arab people, or God, all Gentiles, all Jews to you so that we can all be saved, God. And so the gifts we're about to receive, we give. Lord, with that heart and that understanding, and we thank you for today, Jesus.
1: God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I ask you, Father, to look on this church with favor and everyone here in this room. Thank you for those who are committing their lives to follow Jesus today, the Messiah. And Lord, bless every giver who gives of their tithes and offerings on this offering. May it go to bring forth the gospel to this area in Northeast Ohio. Thank you for this church. Thank you for their stance and support of Israel. Thank you for their support of the gospel going to the nations. Mm-hmm. And now, Father, I bless them with the words from Numbers chapter 6. Mm-hmm. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, and give you his peace. Hashem Yeshua, in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.